Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Psalm 73, Psalm 73, and we'll be there in just a moment. While you turn there, I just recently was listening to a sermon, and the the preacher made the point of, remember the very first song you ever learned. And he kind of put this out, and different people had different responses. You know, some people were born to be wild, you know, just different songs like that. And I think probably for most of us, it was that song we just sang, right? Uh, many of us, we were just brought up with the idea that Jesus loves me. And it is such a wonderful concept, something to instill in the minds and the hearts of young people that what we are, who we are, why we do the things we do is motivated by the fact that he loved us first. And that's such a, a wonderful thing to dwell on and think about, which is partially what we're going to dwell on tonight as we dig into, again, you know, more of this idea of how do you grow deeper or go deeper in your relationship with God. And as I expressed this morning, that's probably one of those concepts that many of us struggle with and think about and, and deal with. And I had several of you come up to me afterwards and say, yes, this is one of those things that I have personally thought about or are kind of dug into and, and, and something that has plagued me over the years of how do you grow even closer or draw even nearer to God than what we are typically experiencing. And I, I expressed to you this morning, I think one of the reasons we experience such a limited amount of closeness to God is because we spend a lot of time focusing on self. We spend a lot of time focusing on our obligations. We spend a lot of time focusing on the things that we have to do and whether we are measuring up or not. And because of that, we, we spend more time in the figurative mirror than we do actually looking at God. And that's dangerous. It, it's damaging, I think, in the way that we should be growing in this relationship. And I think Psalm 73 is going to point that out for us. So let's go through the psalm briefly before we make some application and hopefully draw some lessons that can help us as we draw closer to God. That is not visible at all for you. So I'm just going to read it straight out of my Bible and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Uh, psalm 73, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Now that is, it, I think, a good introduction for this particular psalm. Because this psalm is going to deal a lot with the contrast between the wickedness of those who are arrogantly not pursuing a relationship with God and the humility of those who do pursue a relationship with God. And he basically opens up to, with... God is good. God is good. Jesus loves me. It's a great introduction to any sort of relationship building 
exercise, if you recognize the one you're trying to draw closer to really indeed loves you, like we talked about this morning in our sermon, that is the foundation for drawing closer to God, is it not? We have to have an understanding of who God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Do we truly have that understanding that God is indeed good? And that is a lovely thing to dwell on. But then there's also the flip side of it. I think there's a, a, a situation here for Asaph, who's the writer of this psalm. There's a situation where he is recognizing because of God's goodness, you have not just this, this focus on who God is and what he's about and what he has done, but in contrast, how poorly we are. It's like Isaiah standing before God in his vision and his immediate response to seeing the presence of God is what? I am unclean. I think we, we see that. And I think that's one reason we are so tempted to do what we talked about this morning, which is focus on self. The problem in any relationship that we have with God, we recognize from the beginning, is not a problem with God, it's a problem here. We are the ones who walk away from God. We are the ones who fall short. We are the ones who sin. We are the ones who don't measure up. We are the ones not doing the right thing because God is always doing the right thing. So if something needs to change, it's me. And so we spend our time developing all of these practices and these, these you know, habits that, that make us do better. But the problem with that is that it takes the focus off of the first statement, God is indeed good, and places all the attention on the last statement, which is, I am indeed bad. And that's not a good place to be. In my marriage relationship, if in every conversation my wife and I had together, I walked away from those conversations feeling beat down, feeling like I don't measure up, feeling like I don't deserve her love, feeling like she, she'd be, be ridiculous to love me, therefore I can conclude that she doesn't love me. How, how deep is our relationship going to be? Not deep at all. If every interaction we have is about my poorness, then, and, and that's where my focus is, we will never have a good relationship. And the same is true with God. It's it just we're not going to have the relationship that we're supposed to have if we serve God that way. Read on with me. We'll read verse, uh, two, uh, verse 3 all the way down to verse 12. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die, and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like others. They are not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their hearts run wild. They mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven, and their tongues strut across the earth. 
Therefore his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, how can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. That's where you go when you're beaten down. Because nobody likes to feel beaten down. Nobody likes to feel despised and rejected. Nobody wants to feel as if nothing they do matters and that they're just completely hopelessly lost. And so they look for places where people are happy. And you know, in this world, unfortunately, the happy people are typically the arrogant, the prideful, the ones who have achieved things on their own. And we start looking and measuring whether we have measured up to that standard instead of to God's standard, and it gets us in trouble. I've fallen guilty of that. Uh, One of the conversations my wife and I have had over the years is that one of the most difficult aspects of being a preacher is that there is very little upward movement. I'm a man. I, I like the idea of promotions and achievements and accomplishments and hitting that next rung on the ladder. There, there's just something in me that I think God put in me to be that conqueror-type person. And so if, if it's uh, working in a typical corporate structure, I want to move up from nobody to somebody to management to boss. Like, I, I want to be able to climb that structure because there's those achievements and that, that sense of conquering it If it's not a a, a corporate structure, I want to be able to make the next big sale to get the next award, to get the next, you know, the standard of achievement when it comes to all the sales that I'm supposed to be doing. And that that drives me. That makes me want to be more. It makes me want want to have more. And you don't have any of that as a preacher. None of that. That's difficult. For a lot of preachers that I know, that's difficult. I see a lot of young men leaving preaching, and a lot of reasons boil down to those reasons, those motivations. That sense of wanting to accomplish, wanting to achieve, wanting to have something better or more. And that's dangerous. Because it causes people to look to a world that honors achievement, especially when that's contrasted with a, with a God who just gives grace and rewards those who seek him, not because they've been the best Christian, but because they belong to him. And, and that concept of grace and, and kindness and mercy and love by a God who is indeed good is very different than the world's concept of accomplishment and achievement, and it has caused so many Christians to jump back into the world. So many. So many who have just gone back to, to serving God or to serving themselves because there in the world, they can feel good about who they are. They can feel good about what they've accomplished. I'm just going to the last slide so that people can quit looking up there and 
trying to see is it going to work and it's not going to work. Okay, so, all right, so it, it, we've got this great sense of, uh, of, of arrogance that I think has in, in a lot of ways jumped into the individual lives of Christians because we have seen the world succeed and the world is, is winning and the world is, is having good things and they're enjoying life and they're out there on the lake on the weekends and they're out there having fun and, and all the advertisements of people enjoying life and having fun. We were talking about earlier, uh, there's a, a meme that goes around about a bunch of ladies eating salad and laughing and it says, my salad tells the best jokes because you know, nobody eats the salad and actually looks like they're really eating a salad which looks more you know, people, if you want to sell a salad, you got to sell it with happiness and joy and excitement, right? Well, the world sells itself that way. God's plan? Come serve me. Come do all that which you should do. Come serve It doesn't appeal to a lot of people. But I think it will before we're done tonight. Let's keep reading. Psalm 73. I want to start there, verse 13. Go down through verse 22. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long, punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all of this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors, like one waking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image when I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. I think that's the place where so many of us end up. We have this battle. And maybe you can argue that's a young man's battle or a young woman's battle to kind of wrestle with, are we going to find our fulfillment in the world, or are we going to find our fulfillment in God, and, and, and that, that's, that's that struggle. I don't know that we ever outgrow that. Maybe we do. I'm, I'm only 41. I got, a, ideally, a lot of years left to figure some of this stuff out. But I've wrestled in that spot, haven't you? I've wrestled with why is it that the world gets things so easily and I have to fight so hard? Or I've wrestled specifically with why is it that it seems all of these friends of mine, they've got no financial trouble, They're, you know, things are just easy as can be for them, and yet here we are not even sure whether the power bill is going to get paid or not. I've wrestled with that. I, I've wrestled with why is it that my friend over here is eating steaks for supper and we can't even afford ground beef? 
I've wrestled. And if not until you go to the house of the Lord that you figure out the answer. See, we spend a lot of time trying to, to wrestle with the, the, the human logic that we have. And our human logic says, and our, with some sort of basic theology backing it up, that if I serve God, things will be good, and if I, I don't serve God, things will be bad, yet what we are faced with in everyday life is all of these people who don't serve God seem to have it good, and all of these people who do serve God seem to have it bad. It's backwards. Until you go to the house of the Lord. Because it's when you go to the house of the Lord that your eyes are open that this life isn't actually about this life. It's not about achievements. It's not about bank accounts. And it's not about whether you've got enough toys or not. And it's not about whether you're eating steak or ground beef, and it's not about your grocery bills, and it's not about how many hours you work, and it's not about any sort of achievement that you might accomplish here in the world's eyes as being a grand and wonderful achievement. When you, when you really put life in perspective, you realize that life is not about the day-to-day grind here. It's about the relationship I have between me and God there. That's what life is about. And when I, when I come to terms with that, when I realize that all of my life should be placed within that framework of serving God and loving God and growing with God and growing nearer to God, it makes all the other questions make more sense. That's what Asaph said. It says, indeed, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. But it's there, I realize their end is a slippery end. It's a difficult path. It's going to be a a bad ending. And for those who have a relationship with God, it will be a grand and glorious ending. And they might have years of enjoyment and years of ease and years of of, having things that, that I don't have. But I'm going to have an eternity of good. And that makes the rest of it worth it. I mean, I, I, I've been like him saying these words. I was stupid. And I didn't understand. When I tried to figure it out on my own, I, I just couldn't understand until God gave me the answer. And here's the answer. Read with me. Verse 23 through the end. Yet... I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. You can really break that up into just a few lessons. 
that I wish I could put on the screen for you, but I can't. So you'll just have to listen carefully. First lesson here is this. We should desire to be in God's presence. God's presence. That, that's what life is actually about. It's not about achievements. It's not about bank accounts. It's not about any of the other things we listed. It's not about promotions at work. It's not about some sort of uh, accolades or rewards and I, I might get some sales. It's about being in God's presence. It's not about friendships on earth. It's not even about family. It's not about how much knowledge you have and how many, how many hours you spend devoted to serving others or serving even God's people. It's about being in God's presence. It's about constantly being aware that God is with you and you are standing before God every moment. That changes everything. It changes the decisions you make, even about what you're going to watch on TV, does it not? I mean, I, I, my parents used to, used to drive me nuts. They're here tonight, so I can talk bad about them. Uh, they, it, uh, they used to drive me nuts because, I, they, you know, I, I'd have a, a friend of feminine quality over. Yay, there it is. All right, I'd have a friend over. My mom would remind me as she walked down the hallway, remember, God's in there with you. <sighs> Man, nothing will make you want to sit across the room from a girl you're dating than the fact that God's in the room with you, right? I mean, that, it just, it raises the bar. God's with you. He's with you. So whether you say that thing you want to say or you hold back, God's with you. God knows. He's listening. It changes the way you make decisions. Whether you have those vicious, ugly, inappropriate thoughts about your spouse because they were vicious and ugly and inappropriate with the way they talked to you, God's with you. It just changes the way we think and the way we make decisions. It changes what matters most. I really think that this, above all other reasons, is why Jesus could face the temptations of life as successfully as he did was because he was always aware that God was with him. And we're not. We conveniently forget that fact when it is convenient for our purposes. Another lesson you see here in this little section is that we should hold on to God's support. Hold on to God. God is the one who is our strength, who's our rock. He's the one who makes living this life as difficult as it is possible. You know, one of the reasons I think the world is at such ease when it comes to life and God's people struggle so much when it comes to life is for two reasons. One is, this is the best that the world will ever get. And so they got to hold on to every comfort and pleasure they have here on this earth. 
But the second piece of this is we tend to hold more when we're scared. All of you have had children who have maybe uh, the light got turned off in the room when they were in there and they were scared of it and they scream and then they come running and running and they want you to pick them up and you pick them up and how do, how do they hold on? Loosely? They just kind of dangle there in your arms? They squeeze you as hard as they can because they're scared and they need something comfortable and reassuring to hold on to. God is that one for you and me. He allows us to go through the trials and difficulties of life because for us, that brings benefit. It brings a deeper relationship with him. It allows us to to recognize and to be reassured and to know he is there ready to hold us as soon as we want to be held. And that should be all the time. We learn in this section that we should be following his counsel. Asaph says, you guide me with your counsel. Is that where you go for help? I'll be honest, there have been too many times where it's a whole lot easier to just put out a a little question, a little crowdsourced question on social media. Hey, got a question. What would you do in this situation? And I, I get my answers from my peers, or I get my answers maybe even from a Christian group. Maybe, maybe I put that out in our family at Edwards Lake Facebook page. And because I trust y'all. I trust that y'all are going to lead me the right direction. But whose counsel should I desire more? His. His counsel. It's always frustrating when your children start to realize you're not as smart as you once tried to make yourself look. You know, I I have now been easily surpassed by my oldest son's intelligence. Uh, He is much smarter than I am. Luckily, he's the only one so far. I, I, I can't tell you, I mean, it was, it was bad. I, I think I've told you all this story before, but when, when Gibson was like six, my wife and I frequently have Bible debates in, in front of the kid. We love to talk about the Bible. And, and, and I have made the, the errant comment because she was telling Gibson he needed to share his toy because the Bible says to share. And I go, no, it doesn't. And Gibson looks at me and quotes scripture at me. command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be willing to share. There's a lot of times when I need God's counsel. Because I tell you right now, I, I don't have all the answers. I admitted that to you this morning, even about this very topic. I, I don't have all the answers as to how to draw closer to God. I have bits and pieces. 
And I think I learn more the older I get and the more I try to practice this. But like I said this morning, the more I learn, the more it makes me realize how little I know. And so then I want to dig even deeper into what it is I'm supposed to be doing. So the more I know, the, the, the more I realize I don't know. And how many years as a young preacher was I arrogant enough to think that I actually had all the answers? need to be the kind of person who's turning to God for answers. Turning to him for his counsel. Trusting in him because of his promises. Because he's the one who's been clear. Uh, Afterward you will take me up in glory, Asaph says. That's a promise of God. That at the end he, he takes us home. He takes us up to glory. Do I believe it? Is that, is that a promise on which I have built my life? Is that a promise, a guarantee that, that actually colors every decision that I make? That I so badly want to go to heaven, I so badly want to be taken up to glory, I so badly want to be in, in an unhindered way in God's presence that it shapes everything I do. I love the way Asaph says this. Verse 25, who do I have in heaven but you? Who do I have in heaven but you? Who else is on my side? He even goes on to say, and I desire nothing on earth but you. And I I so appreciate those words. Because I think every single person in this room has had moments where they just felt alone. They felt like there was nobody there for them to turn to. They felt like there was, you know, I don't know who to talk to about a problem that I'm having or I don't know how to to work through the difficulties in my thoughts or my emotions or or the the temptation that I'm facing and, and, and there's just nobody I can turn to and nobody I can walk with and nobody that can walk me through this and I forget that I have a God. A God who 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 is dependable all the time who always has the right answer, the right counsel, who always has the escape for me when I feel stuck, who always is the one who can help me. And because of that, I should desire him and nobody else. I should desire God and no other thing. That's that's easy to understand in a marriage parallel, isn't it? Like Job says over in Job 31, verse 1, I think it is, I have made a covenant with my eyes to look on no one but my wife. And we get that in a marriage. That when a, when a man has made a covenant with a wife, that his eyes, his, his hand, his body, every physical decision he makes belongs to her. And Paul even goes so far to say in 1 Corinthians 7 that the man's body it's in his entire body belongs to the wife and the wife's body belongs to the husband. And because of that, that principle allows us to desire our spouse only and no other person because that's the appropriate relationship. We get that in a marriage. Do we get that with God? 
think that's why God could say over in James 4, verse 4, he calls the people, you adulteresses. You adulteresses, because you have made friendships with the world or friendship with the enemies of God. We are, if we belong to God, we should only desire God. That's it. We should only have that, that our, our heart set toward God, not toward some sort of achievement on earth, not toward some sort of, of accolades that we might receive here, not the praise of men. We should desire the praise of God. That's it. He should be enough for you and me. And I'll be the first to confess that there have been too many times when that's not been true in my life. Not because he isn't sufficient, but because I have lacked focus and I have not kept the covenant of my eyes to look only on him and no other. We need to be the kind who are willing to do that. He, Asaph goes on to say, my flesh and my heart may fall, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. We need to draw our strength from God, our confidence from God, our safety from God, our every good thing we have in this life, it comes from God and realize God makes all the difference. He does. And here's why I think this is important. If you remember back at the beginning of my sermon this morning, I read that list from that blog post. And I'm not going to read the list for you again, but what I hope you noticed about it was those, those ways in which to draw closer to God that this blogger put out there, they were all focused on our, our actions, our, our obligations, our ability to, to accomplish something for God. That's not the way Asaph is thinking. If you notice here, it is the arrogant who are trying to achieve. It is the confused who are trying to achieve. But it is those who have confidently dwelt in the presence of God. They're the ones who have drawn closer to God. That's about God, not us. I think we lose sight of that. I think we lose sight of the fact that God is worth everything. The last verse here, but as for me, God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell you, uh, tell all about all that you do. The ESV here says, but for me, it is good to be near God. The New King James Version says, but it is for me to draw near to God. The New American Standard Version says, but as for me, the nearness of God is good for me. We need to be near God. We need to be drawing closer to him. So how are you doing at that? If you're like me, it's a continual struggle. And not, again, I, I don't want us to get sidetracked and default back to what we so often talk about, which is, so you just need to read your Bible more and pray more. 
No. This is not about action. It's about attitude. This is not about doing more of this and more of that, but it's about your motivation as to why you're doing those things in the first place. Are you reading your Bible every day? The real question is, why are you reading your Bible every day? Are you reading your Bible every day because because it's good for you? Are you reading your Bible every day because it is just something that you've That's been your practice for the last 20 years, and it's going to continue to be your practice. Are you reading your Bible every day because it's part of your school curriculum? Are you reading your Bible every day because you want to accomplish some big thing for you? That's honestly the motivation a lot of times for those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year program. I want to say I did it. Are you reading your Bible every day because you realize within those words are God's counsel? And by learning God's counsel, you will draw closer to a God who loves you. Do you see how that's different? That changes things. Are you praying every day because it's your practice? Are you praying before meals because you're, it, it's just what you do as a family? Are you truly, genuinely thankful that there is a meal set before you? And you know that meal came by the grace of God of God. Are you praying at night because it's just a good thing to fill your brain with with thoughts of God before you go to sleep or because it's just the way that you were uh, brought up and the way you taught your kids and you want to be consistent so you do the same thing or are you praying to God because he is your last thought of every day and he is your first thought of every morning and you truly want to have a conversation ongoing with a God who loves to listen to you and help you and be with you. Are you praying because you actually want to be in God's presence? Because we should be. A lot of those things we talked about this morning aren't bad things to do. The problem is we've turned them into activities we do for us instead of activities we do for him. And they become more just what you're supposed to do than they do an actual practice of drawing closer and growing deeper in your relationship with God. I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of of just doing the practices without the purpose. And you know what happens when you do the practice without the purpose? Nothing. Nothing. There's no benefit to that. It, it, again, it's just so easy for me to relate our relationship to God to, to the relationship we have with our spouses. You know, we are in a, a regular practice in our home of me bringing coffee to my wife every morning. It's just the way we do it. I was going to say I do dishes every night, but that's just not true, and I didn't want to lie in front of you. So we, I, I, I do bring her coffee every morning. She doesn't like a lot. She just wants a small little amount in the bottom of a cup with a tiny amount of creamer in it, and she just wants to have about five sips before she gets up in the morning. So every morning, I get up early. I go and I do some work. 
I do the things that I do in the quiet of the home in the early morning hours, but at 7 o'clock in the morning, I come up and I give her a, a little bit of coffee and I take it to her in bed. Oh, how sweet. Not always. Most of the time, I'll be honest, it's done without even a thought. It's just what I do. I bring her coffee. There are some times when, when it is done begrudgingly because I've already finished off the coffee that morning because I've been up for several hours and now i got to make a whole new pot. And it's just one more thing to my day. And, and that's wrong. Rarely, if ever, is it done as a true act of service and relationship building. It, it's because it's just a habit. Don't give me that look. You know it's true. I, it, but I think we do that with, with, our, with our activities that we do for God. That it becomes more about just getting the task done than it does about the actual purpose of the task and why we do the task, and then we wonder down the road why we feel so distant. Well, it's because we've become so rote in our practice that our practices don't mean anything anymore, and because they don't mean anything, then we've let other things creep into our lives, like that television show we probably shouldn't be watching, or, or those, those arguments that we get into online that get us stressed out and angry at the world around us, and or, or, or whatever it is. We have all of these other things that start creeping into our lives that, that make us feel more distant and more angry and more dissatisfied and discontent, and we wonder why we're not close to God anymore. And we want to shake our fist at the heavens and go, where are you? I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. But are you? Maybe you're doing the things you're supposed to do, but you're not doing them for the right reason. Our motivation should be to be in the presence of God continually. That should be our motivation. That's how, at least as far as my study has gone so far, that's how to draw closer to God. It is by being consciously aware all the time that God is with you and you are with God and everything you do, every decision you make, every thought you have, every word you say, every, every entertainment you engage in, whatever it is, you are doing those things because you know God will be honored by those things. And because God is there with you, he sees it and he loves it and he takes part in those things with you. That's the way you live your life. I'm not preaching this as holier than thou because it is most certainly not the way I have lived mine. And I think probably all of us could do a little better at going deeper in our relationship with God. It's, it's a hard thing to serve God. And again, I, I, I don't pull any punches on that. I, I recognize that. Let me 
maybe reword that in a biblical way. It is, it is an all-consuming thing to serve and love the Lord God of heaven. And I hope you will let it consume you. You will let it become your motivation. You'll let it become a part of your every moment. Because when you do, when that becomes the way you live, the way you work, the way you interact with others, the way that you worship, the way that you do things in your home, when it becomes about living in the presence of God, that changes everything you do. And I hope, I hope you will let it change you. For some of us, that begins by becoming a Christian in the first place by belonging to God, by, by getting to know the God, not as some distant God, but as a Savior, as a God who loves you, as a Father. That, that's where it might begin for you. And, and if so, we want to help you. We want to walk you through what Scripture says about repenting and letting Him be Lord and having your sins washed away in baptism. And, but for most of us, for most of us, it's, it's probably just that we're maybe a little distracted Maybe we've never been challenged to live as deeply as what God has made available to us, and so we've not reaped the benefits of having a true depth of relationship with God. And I encourage you, if that's you, let's fix it today. If you want prayers in your efforts, we'll pray for you. If you want a, a partnership for accountability so that we can start asking one another, hey, how... how how are you doing with God today? Like maybe, maybe that's what we need to start doing. We need to start uh, having those types of conversations and reminders. But what I know we all need to do is to start having a focus and a love for serving God and living in his presence. And if you need help doing that or prayers, we want to help you with that too. If we can help you in either way, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.